If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 14 again. Uh, well, not again. We'll be in Luke again in chapter 14. And we'll begin in verse 1 in just a moment. Luke chapter 14 and verse 1. And today we're going to read an account that is unique to Luke's gospel. We're entering a section where uh, several things that he records are unique to him. And this is one of those places. Um, it's it's going to be Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And it's about a man that Jesus heals. And the man has what's called dropsy. And you'll remember that Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He's on his way. And as he's going along, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching. He's performing miracles and, and healings and different things like that in the towns and villages along the way. Now, back in chapter 13, we saw him free a woman from demonic bondage. You remember, she was bent over double. Uh, she was in the synagogue, and he healed her on the Sabbath. And that made, um, that made the synagogue official very upset. And he said, you remember, there are six days you can get healed. Come one of those days, just don't do it on, on the Sabbath. Don't do it at church. And, um, and so that he, he got his... Uh, uh, nose out of nose out of joint, and and Jesus made him real mad. But then Jesus um, goes on, and he begins to teach about the kingdom of God and what it's like, and he says like leaven and, and different things like that. And then at, at the last time that we looked at this, last week was, was Father's Day, but the week before that, when we looked at it, um, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to run him off. You remember they said Herod wants to kill you, and Jesus uh, told them in no uncertain terms he wasn't going anywhere. He was going to do his thing, and he was, he was going to Jerusalem to die. And so in chapter 14, where we pick up today, um, Jesus, again, is still on his way, and he's going to have another run-in with the Pharisees, and he's going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And it's a very short and straightforward text. It uh, doesn't require a whole lot of uh, setup, so let's go ahead and stand if you're able to. We'll pick up in uh, verse 1 and read down to verse 6. It happened when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread. They were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent, and he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. He said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they can make no reply to this. Thank you. May be seated. <clears throat> now our text today begins with Jesus walking into an ambush. He walked into an ambush. Now you'll notice verse one says that it happened while he was at a at the house of a leader of the Pharisees. Now, he, he was in the house of a leader of the Pharisees. In other words, this man was somebody who wasn't just a Pharisee. Now, remember, the Pharisees, even though they had a bad rap, they were, they were theologically conservative. Okay, They, were, they, they, they tried to, to keep the law of Moses. They were trying to be diligent to do the things that God had said. But many of them had, had let the, the, the formalism of it all uh, really take the place of that heart devotion that, that God is requiring. And so, uh, so anyway, this is a leader of the Pharisees, meaning he was not only of the sect of Pharisees, but he was also part of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court. So this guy would have been uh, well-known, well-respected, and he has Jesus over to eat. Now, given what we know about Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees, this may make us kind of, it should make us sit up and take notice. Because why would Jesus be going to a Pharisee's house? Because Jesus was pretty hard on him. He was, he was harsh with them. He called them all kinds of names and, and, and called them out for their, uh, for their 
religious pretending, and, and he had no toleration for that, called him a, a brood of vipers and, and all sorts of things. And yet here he is in the house of this man of the Pharisees. Now we can see that this was a trap. As I, as I read this, I thought of the old westerns, you remember? It's, or even or Star Wars, you remember? It's a trap! And that's, that's why as I was reading this, I, I saw it, and it's easy for us to see this was a trap. And no doubt Jesus knew this was a trap as well. And yet he goes in, he, he doesn't back down from it, he goes right in, and he knows what he's getting into. Now one of the Pharisees, uh, one of these leading men, asked Jesus to come into his house, and the end of verse 1 is significant. Look again at what verse 1 says. It says, They were watching him closely. Now the first question is, who is they? They were watching him. Who was watching him? Verse 2 tells us, or sorry, uh, verse 3 tells us, it was the lawyers and the Pharisees. Now, this Pharisee didn't just invite Jesus and the disciples over. He had all kinds of people there, including lawyers and Pharisees. In other words, all these people are on his side. Jesus doesn't have the backup. It's stacked against him. He, Jesus enters a hostile environment. And this is, these are people who are out to do him harm. They hate him. This is not a social visit. They, he didn't say, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, we, we, put a, we put a pot roast on, and we got some extra. Why don't you come on over and bring your disciples with you? Or let's come on over uh, after synagogue, and let's have a weenie roast. It was nothing like that. It was, hey, you come over. I got my posse backing me up. And you're not going to like what you're going to get, but he doesn't tell Jesus all that. So he has these, it's, it's all a setup. It, they're not just sitting around shooting the breeze. The Bible says they're watching him closely. This is not a cordial event. They are hostile. Don't you hate the feeling of being watched? I hate that feeling, which is ironic since I'm standing in front of everybody talking. <laughs> but I, I hate it, you know, like if I'm doing something and somebody's standing over my shoulder watching. You know, it, it, just, it just makes me just uncomfortable uh, just, just, with that, just with that scenario. And here Jesus is, and he's surrounded by people who are watching him closely. Now, this is not, again, this is not that they were just sitting there observing Jesus and what he was doing. This is the same idea and the same language that's used in Mark 3. In Mark chapter 3, I think it's verse 2, Jesus is in the synagogue and there's a man there with a withered hand. And the Bible says that, that his opponents were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And, and it's the same thing that's going on here. This is not just observation, it's insidious. They are antagonistic to Christ. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now, the reason they were watching him closely, verse 2, is there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now, we don't know anything about the man except what's recorded here. Again, this is the only time this man is ever mentioned in Scripture. Uh, the other Gospels don't record this event. We don't know his name. We don't know everything that was wrong with him. We don't even know why he was there. One reason could be that this man heard Jesus was there, and so he went to get a healing. And we see that many times in the Gospels. People hear that Jesus is, is, is in a town, so they flock to him, and, and they, they, they want him to, to, to lay hands on them, to heal them, to cast out the demons, and so forth. It could be that. I mean, there's another instance where Jesus was in a Pharisee's house, and a woman came and anointed uh, Jesus' feet with oil. Or, you remember that? Or perfume, rather. And it could be that. It could be that this man was actually part of the Pharisees' family, and so he was, he was already there, and so it just so happened that he was in front of Jesus. 
But I think the third option, and I, I don't have, a, I can't, I don't have chapter and verse for this, but just the whole tenor of this, I think this was part of the setup. I think they invited him here for this reason. And I think that they set Jesus where he was, and I think they set this man with dropsy where he was, square in front of Jesus, to, 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 to try and prompt him to do something. Oh, you're going to be compassionate. You're going to heal people. You're going to do all these miracles. Well, let's see if you're going to do this on the Sabbath. And so he was right there in front of Jesus. Jesus couldn't miss him. He, he couldn't, uh, he, he, he couldn't um, you know, look around him, pretend he didn't exist. He was right there in front of him. He had no other choice but to choose to help him or decline to help him. I think they invited him specifically to see if Jesus would, would, would heal him so they could accuse him. So here's this man, front and center. He's on display, so to speak. And he has dropsy. Now, dropsy is an old term that you probably haven't heard too much, except maybe here in the Bible. There's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term for, an old, uh, for a medical condition called edema. And there are several causes of this. And what edema is, um, and what dropsy is, is, is when fluids are retained in the body. And it, it causes the, the tissues to swell up. And so, and you can you can Google that on, and and look at the pictures. And you know, like the somebody's legs will get great big, and you could push it in, and you take your finger off, and usually you know your skin pops back, and it just stays dented. Okay, there's there's all kinds of fluid that builds up, happening in the hands and the the legs, and and the, the, just just the whole body can swell. And usually the causes for this are things like congestive heart failure, kidney disease, kidney failure, cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, bad stuff. And so here's this man who has a terminal condition. I mean, obviously, this is, this is going to be bad, congestive heart failure. It's going to be bad no matter what era of history you live in, but especially back then with, with their primitive medical care. Uh, he, he was a goner. And so here's this man in terrible medical shape, and he's right there in front of Jesus. And notice Jesus doesn't look away from him. He doesn't ignore him. He doesn't avoid healing them to coddle the religious sensibilities of the people. And sometimes I think, and, and I've, I've done this, and I'm sure you have too, sometimes somebody will have something going on and, and it makes us uncomfortable, and so we avoid making eye contact with people. You've done that, I'm sure. Uh, and, and, and Jesus doesn't do that. And, and I just, I just want to encourage you, Jesus sees you today. No matter what situation you're in, maybe, maybe you have a medical condition, maybe you're in, in some sort of pain, he sees you in your weakness. Maybe nobody else in society would make eye contact with you, but he sees you. And I'm thankful for that. We may be a, we may be a nobody, but he sees us. So here's Jesus. He goes into a place. It's an ambush. And next I want you to see that he challenges the leaders and he heals the man. So these religious leaders, they're sitting around, standing around, waiting for Jesus to mess up. They're waiting for him to do the very thing that he's getting ready to do. But Jesus doesn't play defense. He plays offense. And so he's getting ready to do the thing that they're wanting him to do. But instead of being on the defense, what does he say? Verse 4, or verse 3. He asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? In verse 4, they kept silent. Now one reason they kept silent is because it was not unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. Now, in, in that context, they made all kinds of, of extra rules and regulations about the Sabbath because they wanted to keep the Sabbath because God said, 
remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And so they come up with all sorts of rules and regulations. This classifies as work, so you can't do it. This doesn't classify as work, so you can. So let's say that you were sick or you got injured on the Sabbath. Well, what they said was, if you get hurt, you have some medical condition, enough medical aid can be rendered on the Sabbath to keep you from getting worse, but not enough so that you get better. Now you can do that. You can start getting better the next day. Hey, I'm, I'm just, this is the way it is. And so, so they said, that's, that's bad. This is okay. And so Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day or not? And so it's not unlawful to heal because ultimately healing comes from whom? God. And you, you know this. You've been to the doctors and sometimes the doctors say there is no hope and that person is miraculously healed. And other times the, the physicians say this is going to be a slam dunk routine procedure and the person dies. I mean, the, the life and death are in God's hands and healing ultimately comes from God. And they knew this. And so, so these rules and regulations about healing and, and getting better and stuff like that on the Sabbath, that doesn't apply to God. Because God's going to do and can do whatever He wants. And, and, and so, so that's one reason they didn't say anything. But the main reason they didn't give an answer is because they wanted Jesus to heal this man. So then they could turn around and accuse Him of wrongdoing, of, of working on the Sabbath, of breaking God's law. Now in the back of their minds also... They may have been hesitant to say stuff. Because back in chapter 13, Jesus had, had freed this woman I mentioned earlier that was bent double, had healed her in the synagogue. The synagogue official said there are six days uh, otherwise in the week you can, you can get healed. Come then and get healed. And Jesus said, you know, if you, had a, if you had an animal that was tied up in the stall on the Sabbath, you'd free him and let him go get water. And here's this woman been bound for 18 long years. And, and he showed the hypocrisy and the hard-heartedness of this man. That, 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 that he would free an ox or a donkey on the Sabbath, but he, wouldn't, he, he was against the freeing of this woman. And so it may have been that some of those same people were there in chapter 13 as we're here in chapter 14. And they may have said, you know what, I'm going to let somebody else answer that one. Because <laughs> chapter 13 says this synagogue official who actually voiced all this, he was humiliated by it all whenever Jesus uh, turned it back on them. So anyway, the Bible says that, that, uh, that these, these guys would not say a word. And he takes hold of him and he heals him. Now, he didn't just make the swelling go down. But the, Bible, the, the word that the Bible uses is he healed him, and the idea is he made him whole. It wasn't that he made the tissues drain of this excess fluid. It's whatever was causing the problem to begin with is what was healed. So if there was congestive heart failure, not only did that tissue get um, dehydrated some, the heart got fixed too. If it was kidney problems or liver problem, Jesus healed that. He made him whole. It was a complete healing. It was a total healing. And nobody can heal like Jesus can heal. Nobody can do what Jesus can do. It, it's, it's miraculous. It's undeniable. It's instantaneous. And what's amazing is, not what happened after this, but what did not happen after this. Because all these people saw something that only God could do. They saw Jesus work this miracle. And as you read 
Nowhere in here do you see that, that these people said, what must I do to be saved? There was no repentance. There was no faith. There was no revival. Yes, they had seen God's hand at work, but nobody expressed faith in Christ. The hard heart and the unregenerate soul, the person that's in rebellion against God, will always respond that way. We will always, apart from God's work in our life, we will always be in rebellion against Him because it is God that softens the heart. And and can we not see that truth in this incident? The same sun that melts the wax will harden the clay. these, These people saw this, and we look at this, and even today we can say, Hallelujah! God did this amazing work. Jesus worked a miracle. This is fantastic. And yet these people had Jesus in front of them doing these works, and they rejected him. And that's why it's so important that that we respond to God when he's dealing with us. Because not only will we not, but we cannot come to Christ apart from the Lord's drawing. Jesus himself said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. These men had Jesus in front of them, and he was doing the works of the Messiah, and they rejected him. Don't be like them. Won't you today, if you've, if you've never done so, turn and put your faith in Christ. So Jesus heals this man. He, he challenges the religious leaders. And finally, I want you to see that he exposes the condition of their heart. Look at verses 5 and 6. These men lay in wait for Jesus. They, I can just see them having a huddle beforehand. Okay, we're going to put, we're going to put Abe here. We're going to put Jesus here. Abe's in bad shape. Nothing can be done for him. We're going to put him right there where Jesus has to make a choice. And when he heals him, we're going to get him. Everybody in on this? One, two, three. Let's go. You know, whatever they're doing. They're getting amped up. They have it in their hearts that they're going to accuse Jesus. But the joke's on them because Jesus does exactly what they want and then he turns the whole encounter back on them. And he exposes the condition of their heart. They're, they're, they're supposed to be putting him in a bad spot, but he does the same thing to them. Which of you, he asks, verse 5, which of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? Now as I read that, I had a flashback. You remember back in the 90s when every other week some kid was falling in a well? Do you remember that? I don't know what it was. And it's not happened since. I've, I was thinking about that the other day. For whatever reason, there for a, like a year or two, all the time in the news, some kid was falling in a well. I, and, anyway, so, so I just imagine. You have a kid that falls in a well. That's a life-threatening situation. Would you go to the mouth of that well, say, Sorry, son, son, son. It's the Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. I can't help you today, day, day. It's, I'll, I can help you tomorrow. I'll be here daybreak. Can you imagine doing that? Of course not. You don't care what day it is. You're going to help the child. Same thing if you had an ox or a cow or a horse or a mule or some other farm animal. You're going to pull them out of the well because they're in danger. It's life-threatening, no matter what day of the week it is. 
none of us would even consider leaving him there. And that's the point. This man that was before Jesus was in a fatal condition, terminal condition. It was, it was a life-threatening situation. And Jesus treated the Sabbath as it should be, as a gift from God that was made for man, but not man for the Sabbath. It was a gift of God that was to benefit man. It was a present. It was a time of refreshment. But it was to serve man. Man wasn't to serve the Sabbath. And the, these, these people had, had flip-flopped things and made it so that man was serving the day instead of the day serving the man. And, and with this one question in verse 5, he exposed the condition of their hearts just like he had in chapter 13. Not only were they hard-hearted, but here's what he was also pointing out. You'd do the work when it suited you. You would do the work on the Sabbath when it suited you, but you don't want me doing the work because it doesn't suit you. It's not the day. It, it's, the, it's, it's who it is that's doing it. There's some hypocrisy going on. In chapter 13, it appeared like the synagogue official didn't have a problem with the healing just as long as it wasn't on a certain day. But that incident and this incident together highlights the fact that it's not the day that's the, the issue. The issue is who it is that's doing it. Because even in chapter 13, Jesus pointed out if you had a, an, an ox or a donkey that was tied up in the stall, you'd release him. So the issue isn't, isn't the day. The issue is who it is that's doing it. And sometimes, sometimes you can't please everybody. And Jesus couldn't please a lot of people. This hatred and rebellion that they had, that's in the heart of man, it'll reject Christ. People today, they don't have Jesus in front of them, but they will reject Christ. It doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter what they read. People reject, the, reject light because they hate light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And look at verse 6. Jesus asked them this, and they could make no reply to this. The first time they wouldn't speak, now they can't speak. Because what are they going to say? Yeah, I'd leave my boy down the well. <sighs> yeah, great parenting. Because the, the, we all know it's a lie. Jesus turned it around on them and showed the hypocrisy, showed the hard-heartedness that they had. Jesus is the light of the world. And coming into his presence is like shining a, a floodlight into a dark room. It's, it's, like, it's like going to a cave and they shut off all the lights and all of a sudden somebody turns on a, a, a bright halogen light right in your eyeballs. People don't come to Christ. Because they liked the dark. Their deeds are dark. Jesus did nothing but good, and he was crucified for it. John 3.19 says it this way. Jesus speaking. He says, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. We see this, on, this truth on display every day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something. I'm not up on a lot of the events of the world sometimes. I can't hardly stand to watch the news. I watch it, and I wish I had now. Because no matter what news you watch, no matter when you turn it on, I mean, have you noticed they have like feel-good sections uh, sections of the news now? Used to it was just these are the facts, nothing but the facts. 
And now, the, all this depressing, terrible stuff, but here's a feel-good story of the week. So-and-so helped so-and-so. It's on display every day. Exhibit A, Exhibit B. Row is overturned. And people are sad there's not open season on babies. Some crazy nut job walks into a school with a gun or a hospital or a supermarket or a church or any other place and just kills people in cold blood. There's abuse. There's theft. All kinds of wickedness. That's a heart problem. It's not a societal problem. It's a heart problem. And each of us has a heart problem. And yes, we can see it in the culture whenever we look around. But let me tell you, we can look in the mirror and see the same thing. We can look at our own lives, even as Christians, and, and we still see that, that even as a Christian, we're not living like we should all the time. Each of us has sinned. I certainly have, and you have too. And each of us deserves punishment for that sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you today will repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. And if you've never done that, again, I, I call on you today to turn to Christ in faith. But for those of us who have done this, I think this, this text is a word of warning for us too. Because there's always a danger that we'll be like these men. That we'll get hard-hearted. That we'll, we'll think that our little rigid system is... Is it, and everybody has to look exactly like us and believe everything exactly like us, and everybody has to do exactly like us. May we never grow as hard-hearted uh, like these men were. May it's it's tempting sometimes when we look at somebody that maybe is less fortunate than we are, because sometimes we look at that and we say, "Well, I am where I am because of my hard work." I did this all myself. We're like Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what I built. It's all about me. But listen, everything that we have above nothing is a gift of God. Jesus, uh, the, the, God said to, to Moses in, in Deuteronomy, I believe it is, that he is the one that gives the, the, the power to work. We say, well, I, I got nobody ever helped me with anything. I was out of the home at a young age, and, and I got out, and I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, and I've done all this work. Well, great, who gave you the ability to work? It's a gift of God. Therefore, what do we have to be patting ourselves on the back for? That should keep us from getting hard-hearted towards other people. Be thankful for what you have, but don't have a hard heart. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just... As a Christian, I, I want you to examine your heart. Are you hard-hearted towards people... People's in a, a worse uh, situation than you are. You puffed up with pride because 
if they would have made these choices instead of those choices, they wouldn't be there. That may be true. There's an old saying, but for the grace of God, there goeth I. Like those religious leaders that you put so much emphasis on the form of your faith that you don't have the substance of it. Or maybe you're that person who's doesn't have any idea what I'm talking about because this doesn't apply to you, you think, because you've never trusted Christ, so you're not um, you know, you're not you're, you're, you, maybe you're pretending to be something that you're not. You, you've never trusted Christ for salvation. You'll still come to church, still smile and shake the preacher's hand. Bible says that today is the day of salvation and while Christ is calling on you respond Heavenly Father Lord we thank you for your grace we thank you for your mercy we know that this world is a dark place but we know that you are the light of the world and you put us out in the world to be salt and light in those individual places where you put us. And God, I ask that you would help each of us today to, um, to let our light shine before men. And God, I pray that you'd help us not to be hard-hearted because it's so easy to uh, look down our nose and think that we have what we have because of some inherent goodness or quality or value within ourselves but we know that anything that we have is a gift from you God I pray for uh, to help us show mercy and compassion to those around us I pray for that person who's never accepted Christ as their savior that you would draw them convict them and let them become your child today we ask in Jesus name Amen